Well, this morning, as you can see from the first, uh, first slide up there, I want to spend a little bit of time because we're uh, talking on God's big vision and God's big mission because we've spent over the last few months a number of Sundays working through the whole area of vision in our life. And, um, and we're exploring that together as well as a local fellowship of believers following Jesus. And, and um, so if we just jump onto that first slide there, Luke, would be great. You'll see there, these are just some of the things that we've touched on over, or that I've particularly sort of taught into over the last few months. Firstly, the fact that we need vision, and that if you can see, if you've got good vision, you'll probably see in that first sentence there's a spelling mistake. If you've got good vision, you'll probably see that. Now, I put that there deliberately just to, just to make sure you have good vision, all right? <laughs> Actually, on my computer, it's got a big red line underneath it. <laughs> Oops, I didn't hit spell check. Uh, so, we, we looked at the, script, the fact that Scriptures and King Solomon, he teaches us that without vision... We actually fall over ourselves in, in, and um, uh, this, this particular scripture in Proverbs 29, 18, he's talking about when you don't have vision, basically, if you don't have God vision in your life, and this, this is a guy who's speaking as a king learning to live underneath God's directives and, and heart and plan for life, he, say, he says basically if you don't have God a sense of God vision for your life, you will fall over yourself and you will perish because you can't actually get beyond yourself and you'll make your vision all about you. <laughs> and, and, he's act, in, and, and in Proverbs 29, 18, he's reflecting back on what happened to the people of God when God called them out of Egypt. He delivers them out of captivity and bondage, both spiritual and in real terms. They're a great nation. They're now on their way to a sense of God promise and God destiny and God, God plan for their life. And along the way, God says, here, I want to walk with you and you with me. And they say, uh, not so close. We, we don't want to be so close. Uh, we'll send Moses up. And so Moses goes up the mountain and gets the, the commandments of how the relationship will go. But in the absence of Moses engaging with God up the hill, what happens is all of the people, they decide, well, we need a God vision for our life. And in fact, they'd already rejected God. And so they said, in the absence of that, let's take all our jewellery and our gold and let's build for ourselves an idol. And as we have that in the book of Exodus, and it talks about the golden calf. And so they fashion for themselves this, this golden idol, and they all start bowing down and worshipping it, and they start having all sorts of carry-ons going on around it. And Moses comes back down the hill after some time, and he's like, ah, what are you people doing? And re- what King Solomon is saying in Quote, in writing this proverb, he is reflecting on that moment in the people of God and he's saying, hey, if you don't have God vision in your life, you'll perish. And perishing actually equals you will make up for your own self, your own gods and your own destiny in the absence of having a God encounter and a God destiny. And so it's not like we're walking around going, oh, I haven't got a vision for my life. Now, that's the lie that the enemy wants to tell you you have. I've got no vision. Well, actually, you do. 
It's either a God vision or it's a you vision. <laughs> there's, no, there's no middle ground on that one. It's what are we pursuing? What are we pursuing? What are we seeing in front of us and what are we going for? So we looked at that. And then we, so we looked at the necessity to having vision without, because without it, we, like I've just said, we're stuck. We get stuck on ourselves. We talked about the heart posture. And we looked at Luke chapter 8 where Jesus told a parable about the sower. And, and he talks about all the different types of ground that when the word of God or the vision or the revelation of God is spoken, it lands in all of these different types of postures of people's lives. Some's thorny ground, some's rocky ground, some's good soil, some's uh, you know, a bit messed, messed up with this and that and everything else. But he uses this language and he says in Luke 8.15, he says, there is a noble heart though, which is a place of good soil. And when the good soil or the noble heart receives the vision or the revelation or the word from God for your life of of the good news of the kingdom and the vision that comes with that, the good heart hears it retains it, perseveres with that vision, and then flourishes. The vision flourishes. But it's quite the journey, isn't it? It's quite the journey. Have you ever had that moment where you felt like the whisper of God has spoken to your heart, something of his vision, for you, and you see yourself in that vision? I think many years ago I told the story here of, of, of when I was first in theological college and they placed me in for my training they placed they had to place me so that I could learn to lead and preach and teach and but so I was like imagining in my mind a vision of me standing in front of no less than probably five or six thousand people none no give or take a few but like every time I would get up and speak and really what would happen is when I would speak about, about the kingdom of God, I would see nothing less than five or 6,000 people like come under the power of God. People would get set free, people would be healed, people would be delivered of demons, people would come into the kingdom of God, families would be restored, people's economic situations would turn around and all of that sort of stuff. It would be just this massive thing. And I saw myself in that vision. <laughs> Well, the wisdom of God was that he had a vision for me that would see me in my training days uh, have to spend a couple of years getting up every Sunday and teaching uh, a, a group of, on average, over 65s, uh, and they were, there was about 12 of them. And, and, and I had to learn to actually get the heart of God for them. And actually had to learn to speak to them and share things with them. And then I had to let them tell me a few things about what they thought. I mean, they'd been around and seen a few people over the years. They'd, been, they'd seen some good preachers and some ordinary preachers and they'd learned a few things over their time. And they said, hey, listen, mate, that's all right what you're doing. But listen, if you just take note of what we're going to share with you and you're humble enough to receive it, God might shape your life with it. And he did. So he had vision. But, uh, you know, it's, it's learning to keep our heart in that posture of hearing what God's saying, 
holding on to what God's saying, even when it's hard to hold on to it, even when the circumstance doesn't look like the vision that God's given you, and persevering with him in that moment, and then seeing the flourishing coming. Seeing the flourishing coming. Now, this is a bit of a side note, but in terms of what I thought God was going to do with my life early on, and I would see five, 6,000 people every Sunday, um, I don't. I don't. But collectively in the space of a year, I spend more than, I, I stand in front of and teach more than that every year in the space of a year with all of the places I get to go and speak to and equip and so on and so on. So God has his ways. He wasn't saying no to my vi- the vision he gave me. He was actually saying, you're just not quite ready for the fullness of it, mate. Hang with me, persevere, and we'll get there. Then we also talked about the nature of faith in Hebrews 11. We looked at the life of Abraham and how God called Abraham when he was still Abram, and they, God called him to leave his family and come to a country with God and to follow God. And he had to leave everything and follow. And, he, and the scriptures talk about how, in Hebrews 11, it talks about how Abram heard God, obeyed, and went. But Hebrews 11 says he actually didn't know where he was going. <laughs> he only had a sense that he had a, 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 an inkling of a vision of where God was calling him to go, but it was enough for him to go. He didn't have the fullness of it. It was just kind of like, just like a, like a dim horizon-like picture. And, and he, could, he could kind of just kind of see it. But he, by faith, he said, yes, Lord, left everything and went, went towards that which he couldn't quite yet see. And that's the journey of the follower of Jesus. By faith. We walk this by faith. We see, we obey, and we go. We go towards. Well, this morning I want to, again, in answering this question, Luke, in answering this question of the next slide, whose vision for life are we serving? I want us to look at Ephesians because I think Paul does an amazing job of helping us to get a handle on this one. Now, before we read Ephesians, there's just a little bit of background that I need to give you here. Now, Paul is a good Jewish Christian. This guy, is a, he's a massive scholar of Hebrew life and culture and the things of God. So when he's coming to this moment where he's about to write this letter to the Ephesians Christian church. He's actually writing with all of this long history of God being revealed as creator, deliverer, um, covenant promise, brings covenant promise through, through Abram that the world would get blessed through him. And so he's bringing this, and he's in the lineage of that. So he lives in the line of all of that. So that long story is Paul's story that Paul now brings to this letter. And he's writing to a people in Ephesus. Now, the time he's writing, he's actually in prison. 
He's in prison because of his love for Jesus, and he's, um, but he's writing from prison. Now, the city of Ephesus, just so you get some scope, get some kind of like, Ephesus is not just like a word. It's an actual city. It's an actual city, and it was a part, and it was a very big economic powerhouse in the Roman Empire, and it was a place of big spiritual practices. Very, and there was particularly one temple that was in Ephesus that was a massive temple, and a lot of people partake, partook in that, which was the, the temple worship of Artemis or Dinah. It was, a, it was a female god, uh, that um, Greek god that people worshipped. And, it was a, and a, there was this massive kind of blend of people who were in places of power and politics and economic um, influence, and it was all kind of meshed up with this worship of, of, of Artemis. And so the further up you got into the echelons of who was making decisions, you could, they, they were all connected to dark spiritual practices going on as well. And so when Paul in a minute talks about spiritual authorities and powers, he's both speaking in terms of a spiritual phenomenon and he's also speaking about those people who hold positions in society that are deeply enmeshed in dark practices and places, making decisions to influence and squeeze and shape societies. So this is what's going on, a bit like our world (laughs) in which we live in right now, okay? There's not a big... Don't read this stuff like it's a fairy tale. (laughs) It's not. The distance between Ephesus and uh, Australia is only like this. It's very close. Um, So anyway, while Paul is writing, he's reflecting on his time when he was with the Ephesians. And if you want to read a bit of the backstory of what was going on, make a little note to yourself to go home and read Acts chapter 18 through to 20. And in Acts chapter 18 to 20, Paul has two missionary visits through Ephesus that he goes to goes through in those three chapters. And he is doing like some fully bizarre ministry moments, like to the point where there's people being healed physically. He's teaching in these lecture halls of, inf- of philosophical debate and he's teaching in these places and people are coming under the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of the kingdom of God. And they're getting saved and they're getting healed and demons are manifesting. And there's even this one section. I love this bit. I haven't even tried this as a ministry model yet. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. But this, there's a ministry experience where Paul, like there's so many people who are sick and unwell and they can't get to him. So what he does is he, he says, well, just give us your hankies and your aprons. And so he prays over them, and the people take their hankies and their aprons to the sick people, lay them on the sick people, and the sick people are healed. I'm like, I haven't tried that as a ministry model yet. I might try that one day when the opportunity comes. As <laughs> the Lord says, hey, try this, Kirk, try this one. Hankies and aprons, who'd have thought in the economy of God? But anyway, there you go. But Paul, and the scripture actually says, at, when Paul was visiting Ephesus, he did extraordinary miracles. So there's obviously 
miracles and then there's extraordinary miracles. So miracles are a given in the kingdom of God. But then there's this other dimension and depth and dynamic to the, to the miraculous work of the inbreaking of a kingdom that, that even Paul or, the, or, or Luke records in the book of Acts as extraordinary. You could even put in that category. These are like bizarre miracles. They are so confronting. But this is what was going on. And there's sorcerers, witches, warlocks, and they're, they're coming under Jesus' good news message. And you know what they're doing? They're running with all of their idols, their literal physical idols, and all of their scrolls and their relics and their important documents. And you know what they're doing? They're bringing them to Paul and setting them on fire and saying, we want none of that and we want all of Jesus. So this is what's going on when Paul visits Ephesus. And now he's in prison and he's writing to them, but he's bringing all of that backstory with him as he writes the letter. Okay? Oh, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. Now, the other thing that I didn't mention was that when Paul was doing this stuff, the city got really PO'd at Paul. The power players got really stinky about Paul. And the reason why was because, you know how I was talking about the temple of of Artemis and all these people were entrenched in all of that and their political life and social life and it was all enmeshed? Well, as a part of all of that, they were bound to this spiritual entity. So they had to buy things from the the silversmiths and the the workers of metal and jewellery and all of this that were making these icons and pictures and images of if you've got to have one of these in your house to feel safe and you've got to... You've got to sacrifice stuff to one of these. So, and so all of a sudden, their economy of business is now being shut down because Paul's saying, that's rubbish. Jesus is Lord. And people are leaving the rubbish and coming to Jesus. And so all of those that are now making an economy and feeding their families and caring for their life and their own sense of vision and destiny and purpose are now getting really, really, really PO'd with, uh, with Paul. So much so that it says they broke out into a riot. When was the last time you were in a riot? You've probably seen a few on the news lately. Just picture that. On the streets, the people are rioting in parts of the city of Ephesus because of Paul. So he, he has to split town at one point. <clears throat> so they get him out of there. But anyway, he writes as a good Jew. He brings the whole story of God from creation with him as he's writing this message. And he writes to remind the Ephesian Christians that God is doing a big, big, big work. Way, way, way more than what we've reduced him to, which is about getting our soul saved and going to heaven. Paul is challenging that and saying, guys, if you've reduced this to to that message, you have missed out on the big work of God that's going on right now. Now, that is a very important part of the big message and work of God. Hear me right. Hear me right. But he's writing to them with this long story of God 
And in the, in the long story that he writes with, he holds very dear to his heart, like all good Hebrews do, is the covenant promise of God to Abraham that I will bless you. I will make a great nation of you and the whole earth will be blessed through you. He bring, he carries that. That's his history. That's who he is. And he's met now in Jesus, the fulfillment of that promise. And so he brings that. And the other thing he brings with him is this, the promise that God would forgive the people of their sin forevermore. So as Paul's writing this letter, you've got to remember he's bringing God has made a promise to Abraham and he's fulfilling this and he's done it in Jesus. He's bringing that to the pen and paper. And he's also bringing with it the fact that God, God has promised once and for all time that he will deal with sin and he will rid it forever from the earth. And he's bringing that now too in the person of Jesus as he writes and pens this letter. There's a lot to hold, isn't there, when you read the Bible? There's so much going on. There's so much going on. It's so rich. I mean, I could just spend the next 20 minutes talking about backstory. There's so much involved. There is, it's so rich. It's not just words. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. We all just fall in love with the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God in the Scriptures. There's so much in there. Well, anyway, he writes to remind them all that Jesus is now the King. Jesus is now the king. And I want to, gosh, I've spent so much time on backstory. I don't even know if I'll get through first, the first bit. But if you've got Ephesians chapter 1 there, and I'm going to, we're going to read this together. If I can just pull it up here in my old school Bible. And I'm going to pick up in verse 3, and I'm going to read through to verse 10. Now, when I read this, when I read this, verses 3 to 10, in the English, there's lots of full stops along the way. There's little sentences. That, so it makes sense for us to be able to grasp the fullness of it. But in its original writing, this next seven verses that I'm gonna we're going to read together, it was one dense, long sentence. In other words, there was no break in terms of the idea that was being revealed. It's just one big dense, rich sentence of revelation. But there's so much in it. We in the English, we need to break it down, otherwise we can't swallow it. It's like trying to eat the whole, you know, the whole cow in one bite. You can't. You've got to break it down and get into steaks and then there's ribs and then there's rump steak and then there's I fill it. And you've got to break it down if you're going to eat it. You get what I'm saying, don't you, Craig? <laughs> got to break it down. So... Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just note that phrase, in Christ. How many times this keeps popping up? In Christ. For he chose us in him, or in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given in the one that he loves. And so he's now getting on to the, just the enormity of the grace of God, the grace of God in all of this, that, whoa, even before the foundations of the world in Jesus, God was like, I'm going to be so gracious to my created order. I'm going to be so good and giving to my created order. Wow. Whew. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In other words, somewhere between the first three verses there and verse 7, there's a story there that's not quite articulated, but it says something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong because it was all good and it was all great and there's all this blessing and all this grace, but redemption? Why do we need redemption? Some, something's broken here in the, in the story. Something's been fractured. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Oh, I don't know about you, but when I pray, this is a side note. I don't even think I'm going to get into the notes today. But this is a side note. But when you pray, when, when we hold hands with Jesus and we come before our Father, our, and, and the Scriptures describe it like this, this throne of grace, As we come before him, Paul here is using language, he's saying, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In other words, God has a treasury, a storehouse, a a treasury of grace that's so rich and bountiful and big and huge. And it's the kind of treasury of the character and the way and the life of God that is not just meted out, not meted out, not like, oh, you need, I'll give you that much, not meted out. How does Paul describe it? It is lavished, lavished upon us. And and with all of the wisdom and understanding of God, in other words, it's the nature, the character and the orientation and the activity of God to be generous and lavish with his grace, not to be meted or miserly. It's the wisdom of God. I mean, some days we have hard enough time giving ourselves a little bit of grace, don't we? But that's not our God. That's not our God in Jesus He is this treasury of storehouse, of riches. When you pray, next time you pray, next time you enter into conversation with the Father through Jesus, just just keep in mind with the help of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, help me to remember this, that I'm entering into the lavish storehouses of the treasury, of the grace of my God that was there before the foundations of the world for my well-being. I'm entering into that as I pray. Do we pray like that? Do we go before our Father like that? I just said he'd pay your way into the pool. 
That was a cheap, that was a cheap, very cheap illustration. He's been, he's been paying for 40-something years when I, since I've been on the scene. He's been, he's been paying for 40-something, 47, 47 years <laughs> since I came on the scene. There's this storehouse that the Father has for us in Jesus. He, he, he's paying. He's willingly paying. He's lavishly paying. He wants to pay. He has paid. In whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sin. Whoa. You know where your sin is when you gave your life to Jesus? You know where your sin is the day you were baptised and made your public confession of faith? Do you know where your sin is? It's in the grave. You have been resurrected and raised by faith into new life in Jesus, in the storehouses and the treasuries of our God. Woo! There's some Pentecostals in here today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think God loves us, when we, loves it when we come before him. I, anyway, I, let me get back to this. Verse 9, verse 9. See where the reading the Scriptures takes you? See where it takes you? It brings you alive, doesn't it? So, so read it. Read, read it. If you're feeling dead through the course of a week, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling like the enemy is close, get this thing. Open it up. Read it. It'll bring you alive because it'll connect you to our Father through Jesus. Wow, there's a lot of amens and hallelujahs in the room today. <laughs> I'm not used to that. That's great. I love it. More, Lord. All right. And verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, meaning he is the head. Jesus is the head. One ten. God has purposed his good and pleasing, mysterious will in the person of Jesus. What on earth is God on about? Look at Jesus. And if you look at what he's saying here, he, he is effectively working at, in Jesus Christ, bringing together everything in heaven and on the earth. Now, that's a little bit of a push for us because I, you know, I, I grew up as a good Methodist kid in a Methodist church and as the, the, the priority message was a part of this all things being united to God through Christ. But it was a message that said, give your life to Jesus and you'll assure for yourself eternal life in heaven. And with that message came the understanding that we had to make a decision 
by faith to accept the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus to pay for my sin so that I could have eternal life. And that is all bang on and right. But where that left us, or me as a kid growing up and as a young man was, well, my purpose is to get to heaven. But actually the purpose of God, the purpose of God is to actually bring together his creation in the heavens and to restore all things in the person of Jesus now and in the age to come. So God is not, in, he's not on about trash and planet Earth at all. He's actually seeking for Earth and the, the beauty and the mystery of his good creation. Remember how in Genesis, you read the start of the book, he's, he makes all this beautiful creation and he says, it is good. Now, the enemy sullied it when we gave the enemy our, our rightful inheritance, which was to be the stewards of God's good creation. And we gave that authority away. And now we're ruled by a tyrant who is oppressive and dark and wants to rob us and have us. Um, and as a result, the whole of the created order is now, as Paul says in Romans, groaning and aching and crying out for this return of the king. Heaven and earth, God is on this big, big work, bringing it all back together. And if you read anything through the Old Testament, right through the Old Testament, you remember, remember how God's people were following him through the desert for a number of years? Israel was following him through the desert after they got set free and liberated from, from Egypt and Pharaoh and all of the gods of the then known world and the spirits that were in that. Well, as, he, as they get liberated, God says, here, I want you to build for me this mobile place called a tabernacle. It was basically a really big tent, and it was beautifully made by these people who were living this kind of nomadic following life, following God life till they found their home. And as they're doing that, the reason why they had this tabernacle was God needed a meeting place a meeting point where the people in God could come together. It's always been God's heart. It's right there in the book of Genesis. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He's always wanted that for people and his whole creation to be restored. Now, this is a big picture, isn't it? This is getting way more than just, have I said yes to Jesus? Now, that's a very important question, and you all need to answer that. You all need to answer that. Who is Jesus Christ as revealed? You need to answer that question. But as, um, as a young boy, I grew up with that important part of the message, but I didn't realize it was a part of a very big work of God. But God is on about the big story as well as the importance of who you are and I am as individuals. I, 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 the other day when um, we went to um, the funeral of Peter King and we were sitting there, Gail, Gail and Pete's dad, and um, as we were, I was just sitting there and then 
Gail and Caitlin got up and sang this beautiful song. And this song was, the, the lyrics were, his eye is on the sparrow, but his, but his eye is on me. Was that the lyrics? And I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. It, it's, 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 he's concerned about the birds of the air and their life, these little birds. He's concerned about his creation and his, and his eye is also on me, humanity, on us. God is really interested in the whole thing coming back together in Jesus. We see in Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he brings with him this big story of God of, yes, yes, the promise of Abraham is that everyone will come back into this restoring work of God, of the heavens and the earth being made one in Jesus. He's bringing it all together and he's doing it through the generosity of his son's life. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I will talk about next week um, in regards to why the blood of Jesus is so important. But for Paul here, he's, he's inviting the Ephesians Christian and he's inviting us as Christians today, as followers of Jesus, to yet again understand God is bringing the whole thing together. Now, I'm going to finish with this one. Let's quickly flick to 2.10. So if you've got... So basically what I'm going to do is Ephesians 1.10, 2.10 and 3.10, but I'm not going to do them all today, but 2.10. This, because what, that's the big story, and you might be thinking, yes, I need some time to figure out the big story, but the, what, where am I on that map? Where, where are we on the big map of the big work, of the big mission, of the big vision and purposes of God, where he's bringing all things together in Jesus Christ? Because that's a really big story, but like, where am I in that, on the map? Well, he does a great work in Ephesians 2.10 where he says, um, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is such a hot little verse because that word, um, his workmanship, uh, basically in, in the Greek, it, it, it's where we get the English word, poem from a poem and so really what God is saying or Paul is saying is we are the artwork the poetry the picture the vision of what it means to be one who bears the image of the creator and we have been prepared by God to reflect his great glory in Jesus, coming alive in us to the world. Where are you in this big story? Have you ever wondered why the greatest challenge for any of us on any day is to actually understand our true identity and who we really are? And we spend all this time, energy and money trying to replicate ourselves in the mirror image of someone else or some other thing or some other great plan in life? It's because greatest thing that you or I could ever do is to realize I am a living piece of the artwork of God in the earth because Jesus now lives in me and he's bringing all things together and God's plan his lavish gracious 
good plan is to walk the pathway of worthiness that Lynn saw in the Holy Spirit this morning and to take that crown of identity of understanding there is only one Craig Rolls living on planet Earth. We don't want more Craig Rolls. We can't take we can't take any more. Because when he as he operates in his in his full identity and and person reflecting the image of God, it's like get a load of God on that guy. Now he challenged me the other day, just very casually. He came in here and we were talking shop and then he come he had he brought with him this long backstory into the room. And, I, and the backstory was he, he used to participate in a church that decided one day they felt like God was telling them to buy, build a building. But to build the building, they were going to need one and a half million dollars or something like that. And he said before they even started the project, the elders and the people got together and they prayed and they sought the heart of God and they said, yes, the treasuries and the storehouse and the generosity of our God says yes for this project. But we believe we're meant to do it completely debt-free. And he said, you know, I don't know if we at Pine Rivers have that expectation of our God, that this building that we still owe $850,000 on could be debt-free. He said, I don't know if we... He said, I don't know if we have that expectation of our God for that. I was just like, Craig Rolls... Operating in his true identity, operating in his relationship in God. And he's not speaking out of school and he's not big noting himself. He's just like, no, this is, this is who our Father in Christ is. I, I've walked this story and I'm bringing that story with me into this story now. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Thank you, Craig Rolls. You. There's only one Joel. There's only one Anna. There's only one Joe. (laughs) But the greatest thing that we could ever do is actually realise that we have been created by God to be the artistic, poetry, one-of-a-kind Creation, bit of God's good creation as a gift to this world. And we get to realize that when we say, Yes, Jesus, yes. I'm going to finish there, but just to like Nick and I, we were so blessed and fortunate this last trip that we had to go to the UK for the national directors meeting of all the vineyard directors from around the world. They said to us, on your way over, because it's, it's a long way to get over to the United Kingdom if you've ever taken that flight. It's a long way. And um, they said to us, look, last time when you arrived, you looked good, but you were very tired. So why don't you take two days in Amsterdam before you fly across to the UK so that you can get your body clock right and you can look somewhat decent and you can be cognitive. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> and you know what we did when we went to Amsterdam? We, 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 I don't know, we found this little tram system that we jumped on and we went up to the art district of Amsterdam. 
and we went to Van Gogh's museum. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, Van Gogh, Schmango. But it's like, but Nicole's like, no, no, this guy's like, he's full on as an artist. And anyway, so we go into the Van Gogh Museum and we, we hire the little, you know, self-guided tour headphones and the little audio player. So you can go around to each picture and you go, oh, picture number 42, yep, number 42. And you stand there and you look at the picture. And it gives you the whole story of what stage of life Van Gogh was at and what he was trying to paint and all the interpretation that comes with that. And I mean, that guy had a terrible ending to his story. Absolute terrible ending. Really tragic. But his artwork, you look at his artwork and you go, I was struck at a few of his pieces of artwork. There's this one where there's these fields of wheat. I should have put a copy up of it on the screen but it's these fields of wheat and they're being harvested and it's just the way he now he no he wasn't a christian but when i was looking at that artwork i'm looking at that artwork and i'm going this this is speaking to me of something of god now i i don't know in the mystery of all of that and i'm not trying to get hyper spiritual or anything like that but i was looking at that and i was like I found myself in a place of appreciation. A place of appreciation going, this guy saw something. This guy was onto something when he painted that. When I, when I hung out with him the other day, with Craig, just by happenstance, he sort of wandered in and we, we started talking and he tells me that story. I'm like, I'm standing there and I'm like, this is a work of God just being shared with me right in front of me. I'm like, it's so unique, so one of a kind. You, you, you are all so one of a kind. And I won't talk about Ephesians 3.10. I'll save that for next week because that means we together are one of a kind and we are both a signpost to the world of the inbreaking and the kindness of God in Jesus and we are also a rebuke to the spiritual powers and authority that says, you aren't the Lord, Jesus Christ is. And we need to walk in that destiny as well. All right, who feels like they've just been run over by God? I do. <laughs> That's what the scriptures do when I sit in front of them like that and I just allow them to come alive in Jesus um, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I want to pray this morning that... Um, that God would just begin to expand for us the enormity of his great plan and his vision for his creation and all of humanity and the destiny that we're heading to in him. And at the same time, just that the Holy Spirit might minister to us and go, you know what, I I really need you to be who God's made you to be because you're the piece of art, you're the poetry, you're the, you're the image bearer of God in Jesus that this world is just desperate for. That if you would just walk in that identity in who, he, who you are in him, the people around you, they too would come alive in Jesus. Just be who you are in Christ. And you're true at any. So let's stand and pray. Let's stand and pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, just your great love for all of us. And you've so clearly demonstrated the fullness of that in the, in the sending of your son, Jesus. That the long history and promise that you made to Abraham, that the world would be blessed. It's always been your heart, Lord. And that now through Jesus, every tongue, tribe, nation and person can come into that great promise that you one day uttered to Abraham. And I thank you that we, we here in this room right now, in meeting Jesus, we too get to come into that great promise, that great promise, that great loving commitment of yours, Lord, to us and to your whole creation. Holy Spirit, would you just touch the parts of our life right now that you've been like zeroing in on in the course of all my ramblings this morning. Would you take those ramblings, Lord, and would you uh, uh, just touch hearts right now, touch minds, touch bodies. Bring, bring your kingship, Lord Jesus, upon us, to bear upon us again this morning. And it, uh, open... Open wide our heart. Open wide our heart with the help of the Holy Spirit to see just the enormity of your loving plans and mission in the earth, Lord. Open them wide. Open them wide. Really wider, Lord. Where we think we're maxed out, Lord. Just wider. Just make it wider again. That we might have to lengthen the cords of our life that are on the tent of our life. We might have to lift up the stakes and, and take them out another meter, and so that there's because there's more you want to bring, and there's to, to, to us personally, and there's more people you want to bring in to the great promises of yours through our life as we say, Yes, Jesus, yes. Let the expansion begin. Oh, Lord. I'm having a crazy picture right now, a really crazy picture right now running through my mind and my heart of Daryl Kerrigan at the end of that street, right on the back end of the airport. And he's just building all these little, he's got a little Greek patio on the back of this chamferboard house and he's just extending stuff and making more room for the dogs out the back because he's got more greyhounds and he needs a bigger driveway because of all the trucks and the cars, but there's expansion there. But it, but it happened in such an authentic way. God, would you do that with us? We don't want to be Daryl Kerrigan, but we do want to allow you to expand our life. Oh, open, open us up. Open our chest out. Open us up to you, Lord. Open us up to the world, Lord, that the lavishness of your grace that you've poured in us might flow through us to the world. Oh, God, open us up. All those little invitations and nuances of conversations that we've been having with people and it's you, Lord, through them, knocking on our door saying, open up to them, open up. Just let me expand you for their well-being, for their, that they too might come into this promise of God in Jesus. Open us up, Lord. And Lord, where we've been like totally like because we don't understand you and we've been anxious and nervous and said no lord no please just forgive us for that 
Wash, wash that away. Wash that away. You are loving. You are true. You are proven. You are generous. You are faithful. You have a treasury of grace for our life. Just wash it on through, God. Wash it on through. Wash it on through. Wash it on through. And Father, I ask by the grace of your Spirit, by the inworking of your Holy Spirit, that every part of us this morning, that right now really struggles to believe that you you have made me in Jesus to be your artwork to the world, a gift to the world, where we really struggle with that. Holy Spirit, would you come and help us in that place, in that spot, In the name of Jesus, let the, that prophetic word that was came during the worship this morning, let that crown of worthiness of the grace of the King that's been hovering over your life reach towards it and welcome that identity and purpose to you. Welcome that in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. I just feel a little unhinged, God. I really do. That's how I'm feeling right now. You've unhinged me. It's like I just feel, I just feel a little loose on the edges. You're, you're doing something. God, I've been following you a long time, but you still, your grace just unhinges me. Just when I think I'm on... I'm on with you. It's like the, you just say, there's more, Kirk. There's more. There's so much more. Guys, there's so much more. Oh. I don't know what to do with that. I've been so restricted by the, the powers and the authorities that are at work in the world just choking me of life. I, 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 just, I just rebuke that. <laughs> In myself, in Jesus' name. And for you too, I rebuke that work of the, the work of the evil one and the nature of sin that's just crushed the dreaming and has restricted the generosity and bound the thinking of possibilities of what it might be like to actually be alive in God and live that way. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And say, let freedom come to you now. Just let freedom come. Walk free. Walk free. Please, in Jesus' name, walk free. Um, I feel like I just am so unhinged right now. I need to stop. Because otherwise I will keep rambling. And that's what I do when I'm unhinged. There is a whole bunch of people in here that need physical healing. Big toes. The eyes on the sparrow, and he's also watching me. Big toes that need healing. That's number one. And number nine is, guess what? Little toes are sore as well. <laughs> Big toes and little toes. And everything in between. And between here and your big and little toe. Between here, and I'm touching my head, and your big and little toe. Everything in between. If it's crook, if it's broken, if it's sore, if it's not functioning right, if it's not if it's not operating smoothly, if it's not experiencing the fullness of the generosity of the kingdom that is coming and has come right now in Jesus, then I, we, let's pray. 
that the storehouse of, and treasury of the grace of our God might just be loosed upon that and see you come into life. Who would like some of that this morning? Okay, why don't you just come down here and we'll just, just come on down here and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Now, when I say we will pray for you, don't hear that as, oh, Kirk will do the praying. No, no, no. No, we, we, the ones who have said yes to that pathway of worthiness. <laughs> hey, God's made me to be a rich poem of generosity and life towards these good people. Just come on down. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to say something to Kirk, but I feel God wants me to say it aloud. And I feel I wanted to say, you are not rambling. With pa- from your heart, with passion, genuineness, you are speaking what is on God's heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Liz. I received that. I received that. So I need some more we... We are going to pray. Um, I need some more of the artwork of God and the, the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to come and pray with our brothers and sisters. So can I just make sure we get some folk? Come on down. You know, you might feel like, oh, gosh, I've never done this stuff before. That's okay. You're a really great candidate. Come and get involved. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to just release your power to heal. Bring the kingdom upon us now in Jesus' name. Every sickness, every every um, every sickness, every every everything that's not every dysfunction in our body that's not functioning to, unto life, we just in the name of Jesus ask that you would release healing power now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let healing come. Let healing come. Let healing come to my family in Jesus' name, Father. Let it come in Jesus' name. That's it. More, Lord. Let your power come. We thank you for healing power. Thank you in Jesus' name. Friends, just stay here up the front. Those that are up the front, we're going to continue to pray. Otherwise, God bless you. Enjoy the bounty of the barbecue. And um, don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, come on down to the vineyard because we'll be doing it all again. And bring some folk with you. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the kingdom.